everybody. How are you? Feels good to be back, doesn't it, today? My fashion trend I want to bring back is that everyone who preaches wears shorts. So I started already. Hopefully that's okay with you. We're so glad to have you here worshiping with us either online or in person at Mill City Church. Today we're going to talk about the book of Ecclesiastes. So we're welcome and some wisdom literature. Look at that. We're even excited for Ecclesiastes today. Let's pray as we look at scripture this morning. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we just want to say we love you, and whenever we're gathered together, you promise to be with us. So you've been with us in some extraordinary ways in this last year plus, and we're thankful just a chance to, to sing to you and enjoy your presence, to hear your word, to be challenged and encouraged this morning. So we open our hearts and our minds and just ask you to speak to us this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Anybody been sitting around a campfire somewhat recently? Yep, all five of you. All right, this is going to be a good story then. Last weekend, my wife and I were trying to sit around a fire. I don't know if this ever happened to you before, but no matter where you sit around the fire, what happens? The smoke follows you, right? I don't know. There's some scientist here today, I'm sure, will give me the explanation for why the smoke follows you. I don't know what it is, but it's super annoying. So you sit on the left side, you sit on the right side, and you think you're good, but then somehow, I don't know, the wind doesn't even seem to shift, and the smoke still comes around and gets you. I use that metaphor as I start this morning because to me, the last year plus of life has felt a little bit like the campfire smoke. Every single day I wake up, I'm not sure what's going to happen or what direction life is going to take whether I'm going to be sitting without the smoke today or whether the smoke's going to blow right in my face. And to really put a personal point on it, as I thought about this last period of time when we've all been going through different things, for Carissa and I, it's been a real challenge. We moved to a new neighborhood last year on June 1st, uh, and moving to a new neighborhood when the neighbors can't really talk to each other isn't that great of a time to, to get together and try to get to know people around you. We've all been struggling with crises related to racial justice and the murder of George Floyd and all the questions that that's brought up for our city and our lives. We went through a real personal situation where we had a, a child who struggled with some health issues that was unlike anything I have been through in my life before. Then we decided to buy a family business. Stephanie's making jokes this morning about the heating and air conditioning company that's been in my family for four generations, and my dad owned it, and Chris and I bought it from him in November, and that's also not a great thing to do in the middle of a pandemic, so put it on the list. In my work at Luther Seminary, we had to quickly shift to teaching all graduate programs on Zoom and do intensive, week-long intensives on Zoom and try to figure all that out, and I'm just listing off things that I know that all of you have struggled with in various ways, too. It's just been a smoky year, hasn't it? For many of the stories that you've all told us, we've dealt with health challenges, questions about work, schooling kids at home, dealing with the impact of feeling isolated, finding ways to stand up for justice in ways that you believe, believe in, and the list just goes on and on and on, it feels like, right? So it's been more than a year where life is just incredibly unpredictable. Or maybe we just became more aware of how unpredictable life actually is. 
my question this morning is, how do we make meaning when life is as unpredictable as what we've experienced in the last year? How do we find God in the midst of all of this? How do we follow Jesus when we can't even predict what's going to happen on the next day? Today we're looking at the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, which is probably most famous for one line that's going to feel real confusing to you right this moment. Anybody know what the one line is that it's most famous for? Everything is meaningless. So if you're giving a sermon on how to find meaning, you choose Ecclesiastes, where he says 38 different times, everything is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Despite how discouraging that might sound, there's actually some really good practical wisdom in this book for how to live your life when life is very uncertain. So I hope we can take some of that away today. The book of Ecclesiastes is written by an author, kind of an, kind of an editor type, who's quoting the teaching of someone who's referred to in the book as the teacher. And we're not 100% sure who that teacher is. A lot of scholars think the best guess is King Solomon, who is David's son and a king of Israel. But it could have been uh, another king in Israel. We're not 100% sure about that. The teacher in Ecclesiastes is someone who tried a whole bunch of different ways to live life to find out what's the most meaningful way to live. One of the most common phrases the teacher uses to summarize what he found out is, is this. Here's Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 12. I, the teacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on humankind. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Okay, so now, before you decide this is the most depressing sermon you've heard in an entire year, Let's talk about what the word meaningless actually means here. I love the way that the overview video in the Bible Project explains the Hebrew that this word comes from. So I just grabbed a minute-long clip of it so you can watch it and get kind of the background of where the definition comes from. So let's watch that now. ...basic message at the beginning and right at the end. And it's hevel, hevel. Everything is utterly hevel. Now, most English Bibles translate this word hevel as meaningless, but that doesn't quite capture the heart of the idea. In Hebrew, hevel literally means vapor or smoke, and the teacher uses this word 38 times in the book as a metaphor to describe how life is, first of all, temporary or fleeting, like a wisp of smoke, but secondly, also how life is an enigma or a paradox. Like smoke, it appears solid, but when you try and grab onto it, there's nothing there. So there's so much beauty or goodness in the world, but just when you're enjoying it, tragedy strikes and it all seems to blow away. Or we all have a strong sense of justice, but all the time bad things happen to good people. So life is constantly, it's unpredictable, it's unstable, or in the teacher's words, like chasing after the wind. Hevel. I love this idea of life being like smoke that you can't quite grab. You take a swing at it every once in a while, especially when it's really good and you just want to hold it right there and make it stay and control it, but you can't quite grab it. It's like a vapor or it's like a paradox where you think you've understood life and you think you've understood God and then something turns and you're like, ah, 
Now I have to go through a whole other process of trying to figure out where is really God in the midst of it. This teacher in Ecclesiastes said that living wisely and living foolishly is like trying to grab smoke. It's meaningless. You can't do it. We can never control our lives the way we think we can. Isn't that right? We can never control our lives the way that we think we can. The best we can do is to respect, to fear, to trust in the God of the universe and enjoy the days that God gives us, so says the teacher in Ecclesiastes. We'll come back to that in a second. Many of us spend a tremendous amount of energy trying to control various aspects of our lives. My life got so out of control at moments in this last year where I just couldn't handle the circumstances, I found myself like re-cleaning my desk every day because it was something I could control. Organizing things over and over again in super small ways because at least my desk sort of looked like what it was supposed to even though the rest of my life felt out of control. Maybe you had some of those kinds of habits too. In chapter two of the book of Ecclesiastes, the teacher talks about these various, I call them life wisdom experiments, like living in wisdom experiments. He says he's tried out all these different ways of living to try to see where is the meaning that can be found in life. So listen to the way that uh, he narrates that. Chapter two says, I said to myself, come now. I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also pr proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself, planned, planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planned all kinds of fruit, planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I, brought, I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female uh, singers and a harem as well the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. So this teacher, maybe it was King Solomon who was known as one of the wealthiest kings in all of Israel's history, decides to live life pursuing all these different things. So look at the list. Focuses his life on pleasure, trying to see if just enjoying himself day after day after day after day would bring meaning to his life. And he says, that doesn't do it. Then he tried to focus on status, to be the most important king and the most known king in all of not only Israel but the world. That didn't bring meaning to him. He tried to focus on great accomplishments, right, or career goals. He tried to focus his life on building great wealth. When you look at that list there, do you think any of us are ever tempted to make our life about these things? Do you ever feel tempted to just distract yourself so that you don't have to deal with whatever's actually going on in your life? Watching endless sporting events, TV shows, just consuming entertainment so you don't have to think about things? No, you have to leave my list up or else I can't see what the next one is. 
Or maybe you've been tempted to just try and improve your status, to improve your, um, the way that other people see you and to get value out of becoming more and more known by others. Or maybe you've doubled down on work. Some of us, when we're stressed, we just work harder. Anybody else out there? And we try to find meaning from accomplishing more things. Some of us maybe have focused on trying to build wealth as a sort of security to feel like you can be insulated from the things that are going wrong in the world by knowing that you have some of a backup plan financially. We all are tempted with these things, aren't we? And the teacher in this book is trying to, to confront us with the ways that we try to make meaning without God. That we try to make anything else except our relationship with God and our trust in Jesus Christ the most important meaning-making thing that we're doing in our lives. Because, he says, it doesn't work. You can't do it. It's like trying to grab smoke. Here's a Pew poll from just two years ago, two and a half years ago. 2018 Pew poll. Hard to read a little bit, but where do Americans find meaning? Uh, when Americans were polled in 2018, the top three things that they said brought meaning into their life were family, career, and money. Down the list is spirituality, friends, hobbies, health, learning. But do you see the people around you trying to find meaning in family, career, and money? Anybody? Do you know people who have given up on God and who are trying to make meaning out of their life with family, career, or money? I do. Have you ever been tempted to forget God and try to make meaning out of your life by family, career, or money? Sure you have. The learning from these experiments, according to this teacher in Ecclesiastes, is that no matter what, no matter which of these you focus on, none of them produce the sort of meaning that God wants for you in your life. The teacher wants to challenge us and say, don't make your life about these things, because in the end, they don't bring the meaning and the purpose you're looking for. In verse 16 of the same chapter, chapter 2, he says, For the wise, like the fool, will not be long remembered. The days have come, have already come, when both have been forgotten. Like the fool, the wise too must die. So even if you're pursuing wisdom in your life, and this is the hardest thing for me to get my brain around, so let me take one minute to try to explain it. He says it's not only... Uh, foolishness to pursue any of those things I just had on the screen. He also says, if you think you're going to get meaning out of your life by being the wisest person, by being even the most righteous person, that's not going to guarantee you a safe life, a healthy life, a good life either. And in various parts of the book, he says, even the best people, even the people who fear God and follow God's commandments still have terrible stuff happen to them in their lives. And wow, this is such an important biblical and theological lesson for us right now, that even if you love God with your whole heart, even if you follow what God is trying to lead you towards in your life, it doesn't guarantee that any of us is going to have a safe and happy life. And if you are somebody who fears God, and loves Jesus, and has tried to follow God with your whole life, please listen to me really carefully right now, especially if your life isn't going well, especially if your health is bad, or you don't understand why things aren't going well in your family, or your work, or whatever, please listen to me right now. It's not because you did something wrong. 
It's just because the world is a broken place. It's just because sin still has influence over our lives and the world that we live in, both our individual hearts and the corporate expression of life that we all participate in. It doesn't mean that you did something wrong. And this book is trying to say that if you think you can guarantee a, ha a healthy, happy life just by doing the right thing, you're wrong because bad things happen to good people. And good things happen to bad people. And the teacher is saying, I don't know why I give up. I don't know how to figure that out. It seems meaningless to me. Why would good things happen to bad people and bad things, did I mix it up? Bad things happen to good people and good things happen to people who are pursuing evil. There's no guarantee that life's going to go well. So what are we supposed to do? You might be asking yourself, Mike, you promised me this wasn't gonna be a depressing sermon. So far it's not going well. What are we supposed to do with this life that is like chasing after the wind? Thankfully, there is some answer in the book of Ecclesiastes. The simple answer to that question is given towards the end of the book and that's simply that, that we're supposed to fear God. And when you hear me say fear God or you read it here in the text in a minute, here's what I want you to think of. I don't want you to think of fearing God like cowering in the corner, afraid of God. I want you to think of words like respect, trust, love, connection, dependence, submitting to God's leadership, putting all of our hope in Jesus Christ. That's what it means to fear God. God's not asking us to cower in the corner. God's asking us to respect God and God's leadership and God's love for us and God's, and God's provision for us. So at the end of Ecclesiastes, which Pastor Leland told me yesterday, make sure we get to the end of Ecclesiastes or it's gonna be a really dark morning. So here it is, you all. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all humankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. The reality is that we are in the middle of a struggle, everyone, aren't we? We're in the middle of a battle between good and evil in our life and in the kingdom. God has invited us into this relationship that keeps us connected to God in the midst of the chaos. The promise of God is not that the chaos will necessarily go away, but that nothing can separate you from the love of Jesus Christ. Nothing can come between you and the God who loves you. So in the midst of the chaos, your circumstances might not straighten out right away. But the God of the universe says, if you trust me, if you respect me, if you turn towards me, I will be right with you. We are given hope that God will not allow the chaos we are experiencing now to go on forever either. That God will judge everything that has happened, that God will make all of the wrong things right. And that includes, and hear me on this, making the wrong things right includes the sin that exists in any one of us, doesn't it? Not only the wrong things that, things that are wrong in the world, but the things that are wrong in us that we have contributed to the world's evil. 
that Jesus offers us this forgiveness and healing and presence for the sins that we have committed and also the sin that we experience in the world around us. This chaos will not last forever. But until it comes to an end, the God of the universe says, I love you, I forgive you, I am with you. Let's hang in there together. Not only does it say that we should fear God and respect God's commandments and do the things that God has called us to do, but there's one little verse that I want to highlight that I think is amazingly hopeful. This verse tells us that we are made for way more than what we're going through right now. That God did not create us to go through the kind of life that we've been through, not only in the past year, but for many generations. And deep down, we know that we're made for more than this, don't we? Deep down, you have a sense that there's more to life than any of the things that have been on that screen or any of the things that this world is trying to offer you. Career is not big enough for what God has put in you. Status is not big enough for the image of God that has been put in you. Pleasure is not even close to big enough to the kind of image that God has placed in you. Money is worthless in comparison to the value that God has placed on each and every person that God has created. I think we're searching for this deeper meaning because God has implanted this eternal desire and eternal connection in every one of us. And here's the verse that I was referring to in Ecclesiastes 3.11, just a really short verse. Listen to it with me. It says, God has made everything beautiful in its time. God has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Just leave that up there for a second, would you? God has set eternity in the human heart. There's something in you, the image of God is placed in you, and that no matter what you try to find meaning in in your life, you will always be continuing to search until you realize that the thing that you're looking for is the relationship and presence of God that has already been put in your heart. And none of the other things that offer meaning in life can, can help you understand who you are and what you were made to do like that relationship with Jesus Christ. God has put eternity in our hearts and God continues to give us hope that what we are experiencing now is not the only future. This is the buildup. Does it feel more hopeful to you right now than it did like five minutes ago? You guys need to be retrained on responding to sermon comments. All right, we'll start it. Thanks, Pastor Donna. My good friend Eric Mortensen, covenant member of Mill City Church, has been battling cancer for the last few years and is currently continuing to battle cancer. We've had some really good discussions about what's most meaningful in life. Recently, he called me to share something that he'd been thinking about. And it's been on my mind every day since he shared it with me. And I've been preaching it to those of you who've been talking to me. He said that he, he's realizing through his own health struggles that we all put a lot of hope in what Eric calls little H hopes. Hopes that seem super important at the time, like 
maybe moving up in your work or trying to accomplish something in your relationships or maybe saving more money or, or getting healthier, whatever it is. But that in the long run are not the big H hope that we all really desperately need. And for Eric, as somebody who's been battling these health problems for quite a long time now, he said he's realized something that is written in 1 Peter chapter 1, 13 that's become super important to him at this time of his life. So 1 Peter 1, 13 says this, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Discipline yourselves and set all, and I put all in capital letters there because that's how Eric's feeling about it. Set all of your hope on the grace that Jesus Christ will bring you when he is revealed. Eric has shared how important the all is to him right now. That all of our hope is in Jesus. Because all of our attempts at finding hope in anything else is like trying to grab the smoke. What I love about Jesus when I think about this particular topic is that Jesus didn't fix the chaos, right? Jesus didn't come and fix our chaos immediately. He entered it. And he came out the other side of death with victory in his hands, and then he offered it back to us. So the God of the universe doesn't say, I'm going to iron out all of your issues so your life is smooth and everything goes well all the time. Instead, the God of the universe becomes a human, dives headfirst into our chaotic life, and redeems it. And turns around and says, life is chaotic until that new heavens and the new earth come, until all of that hope is fulfilled. And until then, I know what you're going through. I've been there myself. I promise to be with you. I'm asking you to trust me and look for me and walk with me as we engage all this chaotic life together, the ups and downs of the life that we live. Life is full of chaos and smoke blows all over the place, doesn't it? We can't control the smoke. If you didn't know that yet, let me remind you. We can't control the smoke. Our hope is in deep connection with Jesus because God has put eternity on our hearts. Amen? Jesus promises to be with us to the very end, to never leave us or forsake us if we continue to put our trust in him. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you once again. Thank you for entering this chaotic life that we all are in. I pray right now, God, for anybody who has felt like you are far from them or has wondered if something that they did caused you to abandon them, that you would reassure them that nothing that they've ever done in their life could possibly remove them from the love that you have for them. That no matter how hard life gets, you will never abandon them. And even if life has been terrible and hard, that their faith in you is not wasted. Going through hard things does not mean that you are not with us. Instead, you have been through the hardest things so you know what it was like and could empathize with us. And so we acknowledge you, Jesus, in the midst of our struggle, and we say, with you, we can carry on. We have hope, not only for today and for tomorrow, but that when every one of us dies, when every one of us comes to our end, 
we know that we will be remade in the image of God and a new body will be given to us and a new heavens and a new earth will be created and there will be no more sickness and no more death and no more COVID and no more racism and no more evil. We know that that victory is already yours, Jesus, and that you sit on the right hand of the throne. And there is no evil that has power over you. And so we call on your name and the power of the Holy Spirit and say, give us the courage and the stamina to go through another day and to look with eyes of the kingdom, Jesus, your eyes, and see the opportunities to love and serve and welcome other people into your presence and tell them that you have also put eternity on their hearts. We love you. Thank you for your love for us. We can never express our gratitude enough. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.